We present the news quiz with your chairman, Simon Hoggart. Hello and welcome again to the news quiz. We start with the cutting scene in the corrections and clarifications column of The Guardian on Thursday the 20th of May, read by Vaughan Savage. Yesterday was Wednesday, despite an assertion that it was once again Tuesday. <laughs> Thanks to Mr. Terry Thomas of Orkney for that. <laughs> Let's meet the teams. Please welcome, first on my right, Francis Ween and Clive Anderson. Opposite them on my left, Linda Smith and Phil Jupiters. Francis, who claim they've got their men. Oh, is this um, those rather disagreeable sons of Saddam Hussein? Yes. Uh, I think they're called U-Day and D-Day or something like that. <laughs> um, yes, they, they, they were um, holed up, but they've come to a sticky end. It's very because Bush immediately gave a press conference raving on about the amazing professionalism and efficiency of the American troops involved in this. What a fantastic job they've done. But when it came down to it, there were three adults and one teenager in the building. And there were, I think, 200 American troops with helicopter gunships and all the rest of it. So it was a slightly um, unbalanced contest. And, um, um, well, and also, I think, Uday shot himself. So. Well, yes, he did, actually, yes. <laughs> but nevertheless, showing that professionalism for which they're famous, they managed, 200 of them, destroy a building and the, the inhabitants, all three of them. But I think there are only a handful of members of the family left that they're looking for. There's Saddam and there's NASA, obviously. Who's, um, <laughs> I think, um, a safe house in the Edgbaston area, avoiding his many critics after the amazing performance on the first day. <laughs> and the chappie who owned the house shot them. For, is he going to get $20 million, $30 million, $20 million. or something like that? There's a picture of him, apparently, in the Baghdad Times, but he, he ticked the box, no publicity, and it, <laughs> he's got the black rectangle. This lucky grass got $16 million. <laughs> And I, I was reading in the papers, is it true that Uday's uh, middle name is Potatoes? Potatoes? You day potatoes? Yeah, yeah. You day potatoes? I see. Oh, you can groan. You'll all be telling it tomorrow. US Army representatives claim to be 95% certain they've killed Saddam Hussein's two sons, Uday and Kusai, in a raid on Tuesday night. On Thursday, US forces had to admit they could not produce photographic evidence of the hated leader's sons. Chiefly because W only has daughters. <laughs> I read the obituaries and I think they were trying to put a bit of a positive spin on Uday on the obituary I read because at the end it said, loved kittens. <laughs> Tempura kittens. <laughs> Clive, who's making inquiries into an inquiry? Are, are we still in the same area? Of yes, the, we are. Um, there's going to be an inquiry by an important judge but uh, it's, it's an open guess as to whether he will expand that into working out whether it was the BBC who'd uh, made up some foul suggestion that Alistair Campbell had anything to do with uh, beefing up or sexing up the 45 minutes and all the other things. And thing. uh, so it might go into that or it might just go into uh, why this uh, poor chap died. And uh, the Prime Minister maybe will be giving evidence and the... Minister... He may have to break, break his holidays to come back. You see, when they were in China this week, Blair, all these years, he's boasted that he was the lead singer in this band, Ugly Rumours, and he was a rock god. And then a Chinese student says, OK, sing us a Beatles song. And immediately he defers to his wife. So, oh, no, Cherie, you can do that sort of thing. <laughs> now, if you can believe it, he was ever so slightly dishonest because they said, oh, go on, can you sing a song? And then he called her over and he said, they want you to sing a song. And so that's why she ended up singing. So there's a little bit of spin put on even the... <laughs> the desperate lengths. He went, because he yeah. perfectly well have sung one. He could have sung Help. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, you know, I need, you know, I need somebody. Help, well, not, not just anybody. I, I need someone. Well, I think in the current mood, the current mood, I think he would have rather sung "Happiness is a Warm Gun," but uh, I don't know that uh, that would have gone down too well. I read the news today. Oh boy. <laughs> Prime Minister refused to accept responsibility for naming Dr. Kelly before claiming that up was down, black was white, and left was right, as of course it is under Tony Blair. <laughs> the Prime Minister flew back from his Far East tour on Wednesday night, though his nose had touched down two days earlier. <laughs> Phil, why has there been excess baggage at Heathrow this week? Ah, yes, the poor, poor people asleep on the floor of the various terminals. The ground staff, BA, walked out. Now, since the whole September 11th business, BA has laid off 13,000 staff. So, the three blokes remaining walked out. <laughs> Two of them do Heathrow, one does Gatwick. And... <laughs> And when those two blokes wield a lot of power, and so the people have been sleeping and the television cameras are just completely loving it. They're down there, you know, looking for weeping families. They look for honeymoon couples. Honeymoon couples can make big money just looking depressed and leaning on a trolley. <laughs> and the BA chief executive is a, um, what is his name? Rod Eddington. And it said he cancelled a family holiday to Korea. Yeah, right, he just couldn't get a bloody fly. <laughs> they found Rod Eddington leaning on a trolley crying. It was going to be the holiday of a lifetime. Oh, you need me? Oh, all right, OK. <laughs> it's all over a swipe card. They don't want swipe cards. Baggage handlers have had swipe cards for years. They swipe anything, don't they? <laughs> Industrial action by BA staff caused chaos this week with thousands of passengers stranded for days at Heathrow Airport. So, situation normal, then. <laughs> Linda, listen to this. Linda, who's now free as a jailbird to climb Everest on one leg, win the World Cup for the third time in two weeks, and invent a cure for boldness after escaping from Stalagluf Holocy Bay. <laughs> Don't give him the oxygen of publicity. <laughs> I'm not that happy with him having the oxygen of oxygen, actually. <laughs> but this is, this is Norman Stanley Archer, isn't it, who's... Um... <laughs> Archer. <laughs> and uh, he's been released to, I must say, the somewhat cryogenic embrace of uh, Mary. <laughs> the body language. You didn't really have to be Desmond Morris to no. read that, really, did you? He went for a big, great big snog, and she just swerved in a way that none of our England cricket team are able to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think the message was loud and clear. You've heard this many times from prostitutes, Geoffrey. No kissing. <laughs> Be careful, he's got a fighting fund, he's going to go for all his enemies now. But uh, you, you must be on his enemies list. You said something very rude to him on your TV show, didn't you? I had a, a fractious interview with him many, many years ago. He's, he's strangely not very good at dealing with difficult questions. I and mean, most politicians can sort of duck and weave, but he just sort of gets cross and uh, got a bit worked up. 
So I think you might have forgotten me by now, so please don't bring that up again. I quite like the fact he made a lot of uh, sort of capital of the fact that when I was there, I got 3,000 Christmas cards. Well, of course you did. Who wouldn't enjoy writing Geoffrey Archer, Hollisley Bay Prison? <laughs> Just going to have our Christmas dinner now, Jeff. Oh, you don't, you don't like being called Jeff, do you? Well, that's a shame because you're in prison, so you... <laughs> Yeah, he said you can call me Geoffrey or Lord Archer. That's a good move on your first day in the neck, isn't it? You can call me Lord Archer. I'm going to call you Mary, pal. Geoffrey <laughs> <laughs> Archer has been released on parole from prison after serving two years for perjury. Perjury is the act of lying under oath. Archer claims he's innocent of the crime. He wasn't lying under oath. He was lying under prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> two points there. We start round two with a cutting from the Dorset Evening Echo. Organiser Eric Amy hit out today after just four people showed up for a public meeting to fight apathy in Dorchester. <laughs> Thanks to Annette Link for sending that in. Francis Wire, textbooks, history. Oh, there's been a survey in History Today magazine. Which is a bit of an oxymoron, really, isn't it? <laughs> survey in History Today has revealed that Napoleon's dead, and um, various things like that. But they also found that history students don't read books. I mean, some of them literally, some history undergraduates, have not actually read a history book from end to end in their lives because they, they get it all from the telly instead, from all these telehistorians, um, six hours, and you've got the entire history of Britain, so it saves all the bother of reading. And some university lecturers are a bit worried about this. Their students have spent all their time watching... Um, I'm a, I'm a Plantagenet, get me out of here, that sort of thing. <laughs> They get all their information about Henry VIII from watching Wife Swap. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a whinge, though, isn't it? Because they're saying that people watch history programmes on the television and then they become history students, and it's not, you know, they find it a bit different. They have to study, but isn't that a good thing? I mean, no, that... but the point they're making is that the students don't study. Well, they, well, they do when they get there. No. That's like, that's like you, well, I became a lawyer because I saw Perry Mason, and I assumed you only ever represented people charged with murder who were innocent... And not only did you prove they were innocent, but the real murderer stood up in the back of the courtroom and said, All right, I did it! <laughs> and then, of course, Clive, you can look forward to being a wheelchair detective in your later years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> well, there is going to be a series called The Naked Historian, I believe, quite soon. I actually saw The Naked Historian last year. Uh, I was at the Hay on Wye Festival, and the house I was staying in one night at about five in the morning, admittedly, after a very long party in this house, I tried to go to bed, and my room was locked, and I saw my bags had been put out on the landing. I thought someone's nicked it, and so I broke the door down. I was so annoyed at five in the morning, not having a bed to go to. And there in bed was a promising up-and-coming media historian with a female American journalist. <laughs> Have you confused this with your Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that you're going to <laughs> tomorrow night? <laughs> well, this woman had never met him before. She'd just seen him that day and thought, oh, historians, they're sexy, and they were in bed by the time I got up there. <laughs> what, what sort of weekend was this? The naked historians. <laughs> and and A, why am I not invited along to them? <laughs> History students at universities now study their subject more by watching TV than by reading textbooks, which is why many universities now offer the history of Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen as a degree course. <laughs> Clive, why are words coming easier for an Austrian gentleman this week? I may be getting into trouble here because I, I think that Francis has just given me a clue 
but it might be an indecent suggestion for later. He's just written... <laughs> He's just written tongue transplants down. <laughs> and um, we may be going off into a, sec uh, a secret place later. Um, this is clearly the story that must have been somewhere in the papers this week where an Austrian man had a mishap and they had to have a tongue transplant. So that sounds like a tricky operation. He's Austrian, so he presumably has to have an Austrian tongue because he's, if he was given his, uh, a mother tongue of somebody else. <laughs> Need to yodel. <laughs> Naturally. That's all they do in Austria. So he's been given an Austrian tongue so he can yodel with it. Well, actually, yodel, it might suddenly fly off. Uh, <laughs> be rummaging around looking for your tongue where it's yodeling away in the corner. <laughs> oh, God. That it's gone be behind the skirting board. <laughs> Shout for help, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> they look like, you know, one of those films, Hands of Orlack, you know where... Oh, oh yes. It's the tongue of a liar. He's got Jeffrey, Jeffrey Archer's, Archer's tongue. tongue. <laughs> Amazing, though, that they can do that, put a whole tongue back on now. I mean, they have all kinds of things transplanted now. You can even have pig organs transplanted. Like, if you've got heart trouble, you can have a pig valve put into your heart, which is astonishing when you think about it, because what are the chances of a reckless young porker dying in a motorbike accident? <laughs> and then carrying a donor card. <laughs> it's a miracle, really. This week, doctors in Vienna performed the world's first successful tongue transplant. Doctors say the patient's in excellent condition, but unfortunately won't be able to drive either of his jags for a little while. <laughs> Who gave Her Majesty a flash of inspiration this week? Oh, I, I thought it was the story that Ming the Merciless was released from Hollisley Bay Prison <laughs> <laughs> to, to take over the world. They're, they're having a garden party at the palace this week, and I always imagine these things to be like, you know, like I have barbecues, and it's hot meat, people standing around getting drunk. But no, the Queen's garden parties, there's 8,000 people go to these things because she's got quite a big garden. I believe it's called Bedfordshire. And... Uh, <laughs> And she was having one of these garden parties, and for some reason, she, a family was invited who had been described in various papers. The father had long hair and a bandana, and much was made of this because his sons, the pair of them, in cahoots, one dared the other one to streak at the royal garden party. And the young man had obviously off his face on tartrazine on one of the many powerful colorants you get in Ribena these days. <laughs> took it upon himself to whip his trousers off and run to the garden party. And my favourite bit I saw reported in the papers was whilst shouting, Wahey! <laughs> A real old-school streak. But he kept his trousers around his ankles, right, which would have impeded his speed. So it wasn't a streak so much as a shuffle with his... <laughs> and he was wrestled to the ground by a yeoman of the guard, which I thought was a very nice old-school way of being stopped at a garden party from running up to Her Majesty and going, check out my crown jewels, you know, it's like... <laughs> I think now the royal family must be quite, you know, what with, with this and that, that chap at Will's birthday party, it must be quite disappointed if something like this doesn't happen at a party. They think, oh, that was a bit of a boring do. We didn't see anyone's bum. 
17-year-old Barney Keane astonished guests at the Palace Garden Party on Tuesday when he removed his jacket, trousers and boxer shorts and ran amok shouting, way hey! <laughs> Sources were quick to point out how well the Queen dealt with the event. But she's had years of practice being surrounded by silly asses. <laughs> Linda, who was happy to have that sinking feeling? Ah, well, diving feeling, really, isn't it? This is this woman called Tanya Streeter, British woman, who did this record-breaking dive to 400 feet under the sea. This extraordinary sport that I have never heard of before, which involves getting on a big metal sort of weight thing and plunging to the bottom of the briny sea... It, it's basically holding your breath for a really, really long time. And that's yeah. the sport that we're really good at. Th three, three and a half minutes. She couldn't have just done it in the bath and gone, oh, come in here, look. Uh, <laughs> hey! Three and a half minutes, and apparently your lungs go the size of little oranges. And the terrible thing is, the spectators all drowned. <laughs> no, they were falling, and they got down to 200 feet, they were all right. You know, they were still singing, you know. Tanya, Tanya. <laughs> 300 feet, that was it. You only, just, you only discover that you, you haven't broken the rule, you can't get any further when you drown. Because if in a running race, you try and go faster and faster, that's the faster you get, then the, the, you're timed up. But if you go one foot too far beyond what you can do, you drown. As I say, it's not a popular sport. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe Sky are interested. Yes. <laughs> Freediving champion Tanya Street, who this week became the first person to dive 400 feet below the waves on a single breath, aided only by a pair of flippers. A total of three minutes and 38 seconds were spent underwater, but much to Gordon's disgust, Tony was still breathing when he surfaced. <laughs> Before we start the final round, here's a classified ad from the Brentford Dock Residence Newsletter. Writing table for sale would suit lady with thick legs and large drawers. <laughs> Crispin Hayho for that. Must have been around the horn at some yeah. point, sure. <laughs> Francis, listen to this. Why do birds suddenly appear every time ramblers are near? It's killer birds. Mm. For centuries we've roasted them and grilled them and stolen all their eggs. And they're mad as hell and they're not going to take any more. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, no, uh, the West Country, seagulls, are zapping holidaymakers. Uh, the ones who decided that they wouldn't go abroad this year because Heathrow is hell, so they go to the West Country, and um, they get uh, eaten by seagulls. And in Worcestershire, there are buzzards, apparently, that are dive-bombing. A four-foot wingspan these things have got, and one of the guys that was attacked was an old RAF man, and I quite like the fact that when they reported his thing, he said, they attacked with a military precision. One of them was holding the sky above me to distract me, while two attacked the sky. <laughs> they were humming the Dam Busters theme. <laughs> He was just having a flashback, wasn't he? Black shape it's in the sky. It's all happening again! Yeah. <laughs> no, it's sad. I mean, birds, 
it's just only fair they should rule the sky. The sky is theirs, isn't it? You know, if you're hovering about in the sky, you're going to get pecked, aren't you? That's, that's the law of the sky. But we're not hovering about in the sky. <laughs> we're just walking along the ground. They come down and attack us. Oh, well, oh that's bang out of order. <laughs> Oh, sorry, no, I thought they were like worrying chicks. People were worrying chicks, and that's why they were, you know. <laughs> well, we've all done that, but... Uh... <laughs> Is that a buzzard in the sky, or are you just pleased to see me? <laughs> a spate of attacks by buzzards on ramblers and by seagulls on holidaymakers are leading to fears birds are losing their fear of humanity. On Tuesday, a crowd of onlookers were appalled to see a mad screeching bird. Oh, sorry, that was Cherie singing. <laughs> Following the spate of buzzard attacks, Worcestershire Town Council has put up signs warning of territorial birds, which are like ordinary birds, but during the week they're chartered accountants. <laughs> Phil, whose clever thought could be a wheel breakthrough? Um, yeah, they've got uh, some S Swiss and Spanish boffins, and their logo is a uh, ball coming out of a cuckoo clock. They've been working on a wheelchair which will respond to thought. You think where you want to go, and it'll go there. You don't have to operate it. And it's going to be an incredible boon, apparently. And it's just a, it's a wheelchair powered by thought. So presumably, you know, if you've got someone very clever in a wheelchair, Professor Hawking... And you know, supposing you're going somewhere and you think, what did I come in here for? <laughs> Do you think when he's at parties and that, Professor Hawking uses his Dalek voice? You know, actually just as a little switch and he can sound like different people, you know, because he's a Cambridge Don and it's always, but he's always had that American accent, hasn't he? Hello, it's great to be here. And I just think it'd be nice if every once in a while I'd go, Hello! <laughs> Where are the canopies? <laughs> yes, I wrote that one! <laughs> what do you mean, you haven't finished it? Yes, so they can power a wheelchair by thought now, they reckon, I think. A team of Swiss and Spanish scientists have developed a means to control a robot's movements by thought alone, paving the way for wheelchairs to be operated by mental control. Powering something through mental control is nothing new. Alistair Campbell's been working on Blair's media appearances that way for years. <laughs> Linda, why can't the young man on the flying trapeze be quite so daring as he was? This is another one of these um, political correctness gone mad things, isn't it? This is the Moscow State Circus. And there's this, this rule has been introduced that the high wire act and the trapeze artists have got to wear hard hats. <laughs> this is true, isn't it? For, mm. for, for safety reasons, that they're not insured unless they're wearing the appropriate safety gear. Hard hats, goggles, gloves. Well, they're going to fall off, aren't they, <laughs> in all of this? So it's going to be massive claims, isn't it? It's going to be claims even, it's direct even worse. It's even on worse. the old blower. It's even worse, actually, because the clowns can't do their act because they come on that car that falls to pieces. It can't get through its MOT. disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> No. If this carries on, if this rule isn't flouted, you know, we'll end up just with those awful vegetarian circuses. And there's terrible ones that say, you know, no animals and nothing exciting will happen at all. <laughs> but what, yeah. The only thing, the, the main attraction is a man who places his head in the mouth of a live yoghurt. <laughs> no, yeah. no. 
I want bears on vespers, I want flaming monkeys, smoking pipes, yeah. wearing amusing hats, running yeah. around, exactly. beating each other with sticks. That is entertainment. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing funnier than a monkey in a fez. <laughs> Insurers are insisting that performers of the Moscow State Circus perform their acts in hard hats in order to comply with EU safety regulations. This is a very serious issue, said a circus spokesman. Just before he slipped on a banana skin, his trousers fell down and a custard pie hit him in the face. <laughs> Following new guidance for insurers, tonight's acts will include Soprendo, the food swallower, the amazing Mysterioso, the human human, and a death-defying attempt by Dave from accounts to balance the books. <laughs> Trouble that, that old kid used to, used to uh, shoot out of the cannon. I mean, he's been fired. <laughs> so, uh, they'll never find someone of his calibre again. <laughs> someone is, is beaming the Beano into our heads. <laughs> Before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along. Francis. Uh, Simon, this is from the Times last week. The Emir of Kuwait has issued a landmark decree separating the post of Prime Minister from the Crown Prince for the first time since the country's independence in 1961. Emir Sheikh Jaber al-Ahmed al-Sabah has appointed his brother as the next Prime Minister, a move that was hailed by both liberals and Islamists as an essential first step towards greater democracy. <laughs> Clive. This is one that Nicola Parkins has uh, sent in, and it's... I can't see where it's... Oh, it's from the Walton and Weybridge Informer. Uh, bungling thieves left more of a trail than they bargained for in a botched raid at Abbey Rangers Football Club. The robbers used the soccer pitch white line machine to carry away their ill-gotten boots. <laughs> There is more, but you've got the point, I think. <laughs> Phil. I am eternally indebted to Guy West of Exeter for sending me this cutting from the Express and Echo of uh, this year. <clears throat> a Methodist minister and two grannies were arrested last night during a peace protest at a Devon petrol station. The Reverend David Harding, Mo Mooney, a 54, and 65-year-old Eve Connell were carried off by police as they lay across the entrance to an SO station in Exmouth and refused to move. Five police cars and eight officers were sent to the scene of the protest. Police arrived at 6.30 and radioed for backup. <laughs> Thanks to Colin Crompton of Dimmock, Gloucestershire, for this one. It's uh, from the Church Times. Maurice Dean, who was parish treasurer in the Central Wolverhampton team ministry, pleaded guilty to seven charges of theft from the Central Parish funds, totalling £36,546 when he appeared at Stafford Crown Court on Tuesday. He has been replaced as treasurer. <laughs> Thank you all. Let's look at the final score. Francis and Clive have 15 points. Phil and Linda, this week's winners with 16 points. And before we end the series, here's an item sent in by Mr. G. Brown of Downing Street, London. When I get older, losing my hair, many years from now, with that, goodbye.
Taking part in the news quiz were Francis Ween, Clive Anderson, Phil Jupitus and Linda Smith. The chairman was Simon Hoggett and the news was read by me, Vaughan Savage. The chairman's script was written by Simon Littlefield, George Poles and Lucy Clark. The series was sexed up by Marika Good and the producer was Simon Nichols. Thank you.